I find what you had written was excellent. I, I'm tempted to take it back to our church in Arkansas and simply say, you need this, because I think you've done it really well. Um, it, it is a challenging time. The Lord is sovereign. The Lord is in control. We may not see everything uh, clearly, as obviously 1 Corinthians 13 speaks of, but we do know that He knows the present and the future, and our present and our future. Uh, and it's kingdom-orientated. And I think that's really what I want to bring across to you as we gather together to consider the subject of the Jewish people. Um, let me, before, I, before the presentation opens up, I just want to, to give a little bit of background history of myself and the ministry, and then we'll, we'll run uh, the, the PowerPoint, which I also have to confess is the, this is the first time I've used this PowerPoint. In fact, this is the first time I've preached in four months physically, so thank you, brother. Um, I, I preach in the you know, middle of March in my own church uh, at their missions conference because they were due to have a missionary speaker, and he wasn't able to travel, and at last minute I was called in, uh, and I haven't preached uh, physically since then, and so it's, it is a real joy to be with you. But a little bit of point, a little bit of info about myself. I've spent half my life uh, in regular pastoral service within the Presbyterian family. Um, I say that with a smile because my two boys then became Baptists. So I don't know whether I was a good dad or a bad Presbyterian, but one or the other. Um, and so my two boys uh, both studied at Southern Seminary where you, you got, was it your, your master's, PhD? Your doctorate. Um, so we've, we're we're in the the, the right uh, we're in the right part of the spectrum. Let's just say. <laughs> um, so again, I'm delighted to to uh, be here to do that to tell a little bit about myself. My wife and, and and youngest daughter is here also. So if you want to hear a little bit more of the Northern Irish accent, then you can talk to them rather than me. Um, we moved over here in 2012, yes, for this ministry, for Christian Witness to Israel. I was their Ireland secretary, their Ireland director, you might say, or uh, deputation secretary, uh, and that meant I traveled all over Ireland uh, and in the UK as well to preach and teach uh, and stir up interest and support for Jewish mission. And then in 2012, and in fact, earlier than that, we started the processes for moving over here. Um, for those of you who have uh, an interest in immigration, it takes about nine years to become a citizen because last year we became citizens. Yes. Um, if you do it, the normal processes. So we, uh, we got our religious workers visa, then we got our green card, and then you have be good boys and girls for five years on your green card, and you get the opportunity to become uh, a U.S. citizen, and it's not—it's uh, no light thing. Uh, we choose; God chooses our nationality by birth, but uh, those who become citizens have chosen, and so we have chosen. As, as some of my other brothers have said, "Welcome to our mess." Uh, we have chosen this as our country as our nationality. Of course, we are kingdom-orientated, so our, our loyalty is to King Jesus. Our loyalty is even higher, and uh, that even brings in some issues pertaining to the situation that we face uh, today, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more maybe perhaps in this sermon, uh, at least by way of introduction. So that's a little bit about us, a little bit about CWI. CWI was originated in 1842 um, as you can see in the opening slide, that's a good way to begin, in fact. Um, 1842, really the burden of the Scottish Presbyterians, uh, particularly uh, Robert Murray McShane and the Bonners, if those names are familiar with, to you, that's wonderful. If they're not, I need to speak to your pastor. Uh, they need to be. Uh, but Robert Murray McShane, Church of Scotland, 1842, uh, in fact, 1839, they sent some of their pastors on a mission of discovery to the Holy Land. It was called Palestine then. So they sent them there to inquire into the situation of the Jewish people. They came back, burdened the church, and from a burden births a mission. And really, in a sense, I, I feel I, I want to do exactly the same in the USA. From a burden, I want to birth 
a mission. And the mission is to the Jewish people. We are not interested per se, although we have missionaries there, in Israel as a geopolitical entity. I stress that because, yes, we will talk about the land of Israel, the nation of Israel as established in 1948, but our mission is Christian witness to Israel to the Jewish people. In fact, it began in 1842 as the British Society for the Propagation of the Gospel among the Jews. So, the initial impetus was gospel to the Jews, and that you can see from our, our mission statement, although the text is pretty small, and I certainly can't read the text up on the screen right there, uh, but to advance the Christian faith by acting as an interdenominational evangelistic agency to proclaim the gospel to the Jewish people throughout the world and to challenge and assist the church to fulfill this task with a particular focus on the USA and neighboring countries. So, our branch is looking at Israel in America. Now, that might sound strange to you, but that's what you need to get into your head. And that's how we understand the Scriptures. As the Apostle Paul speaks of his heart's desire, Romans 10 verse 1, he says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they'll all get back to the land and build the temple and start the sacrifice. No. Romans 10:1. my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. So, our mission is driven by that biblical burden and even historical burden to bring the gospel to the ancient people who are here in the United States. So, let's run another slide. Otherwise, I'm going to take far too long on each slide. This is the danger with a new PowerPoint. You never know how long it's going to take. We sow a seed. A farmer went out to sow. The sower went out to sow. We sow a seed. We tell Jewish people about Jesus. This is my colleague in Pittsburgh. And although COVID has kind of scuppered a few things. Uh, this is him usually on a Thursday afternoon or at least one weekday afternoon in the center of Pittsburgh in Squirrel Hill. And he simply asks, and we've, we've done this in other places, and it's a helpful way of, of just beginning a conversation. Uh, he asks the Jewish people there, and, and just backtrack a little, Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh is the a central area for the Jewish people who live in Pittsburgh. It, over half of the Jewish population of Pittsburgh live in Squirrel Hill. So this is literally the street corner of Jew Central Pittsburgh. And he, will, and he is a Jewish believer himself from Brooklyn. And so he, with his Brooklyn accent in Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh, to the Jews I became as a Jew, he is there to preach about Jesus. And he begins the conversation very often by simply asking them, what brings peace? And we have what we call a shalom board. And the board is put up and a post-it is just left and people write what brings peace or what they think brings peace. And they may write a post-it and put it up there on the board and they'll walk away. Or they may write it and then he'll say, oh, why did you write that? And they'll start a conversation. And he's had many, many fascinating conversations on the streets of Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh. But some of them go a little deeper than others. Some of them have even, we've even had folks pray to accept the Lord Jesus into their heart. Now, again, I'm not, and in my Reformed understanding, I'm not one for instant decisions. And, you know, you know me a little. That's not where we're at. But some people may be at that point. And we have had some who have prayed uh, on the streets. And Mitch is certainly there to pray, ready to pray with them. But mostly we are sowing, sowing, sowing a seed. So let's, let's keep that kind of image in our mind as we flip over a couple of other slides. So next slide. This is the, the field that I want us to be aware of. So the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed, <laughs> good seed in his field. Um, it's a little hard perhaps to, to see in the slide. We had some technic, technical issues uh, uh, in the transference, but uh, I'm glad that, that, that this has worked. Uh, but you can see America and those dotted red areas, uh, at least on the one that I can see up there, yeah. That's where the Jewish people are concentrated, largely. This is Jewish America. 
This is Israel. This is our field. And Christian witness to Israel is Christian witness to this particular field. At least my branch, North America branch, is a witness to this field. And as you can see, they're, they're heavily concentrated in many major cities. Nearly every major city in the U.S. has a Jewish population. And uh, I, again, I just want to impress that into I just want to get you to think of Israel in terms of the people, whether it be in the Northeast, in the Chicago area, in the South Florida, or the West Coast, but also every major city as well. I, you know, I, I could, I'm, I'm not sure what it is, uh, for example, in Denver, um, but I'm sure there's uh, a sizable population there. If you look at New York, two million Jewish people in New York City, in the greater New York City. Uh, 660,000 in South Florida. Second largest Jewish community in the U.S. is South Florida. Uh, of course, it's all the snowbirds. And uh, so they're uh, down there in South Florida. And of course, Hollywood uh, and the West Coast uh, is where a sizable Jewish community is. But I, I want you to try and get that into your mind and get it into your prayer life as well as you, as you pray for the Jewish people. Okay, let's, next slide. Now I'm going to take a little, yes, I haven't preached in four months, it can t I can tell. I want to tell a little bit about, the, the lady on the right is uh, a dear colleague, Grace, Grace Lan. She's from Taipei, it's from Taiwan, and uh, she's been a seasoned missionary to the Jewish people in Glasgow. Scotland. The Lord called her uh, decades ago to go back to where our ministry began in, in Scotland, and so she is in Glasgow. But one of the things that I want to stress upon you is while we talk about the, you know, the sowing the seed and, and Mitch on the streets of Pittsburgh, but she has been talking to this particular lady for 15 years. And just finally, and, and it was with great joy we discovered just last week, um, and again, I'm, I'm just going to read a little from, from the prayer letter. Um, at first, Camilla was resistant wherever Grace shared the gospel with her. Grace even recalls a time when Camilla ran away from her and hid in the kitchen when she tried to play her a recording of a Christian message. However, three years ago, Camilla had a change of heart and, and told Grace she was ready to start studying the Bible together. And they've been studying the Bible one-on-one -on -one for three years as they were studying the Gospel of Matthew together last week, Camilla was particularly challenged by chapter 16, where Jesus told His disciples that if they wanted to follow Him, they needed to deny themselves and take up their cross. For Camilla, this proved to be a pivotal moment, and she went on to pray with grace, repenting of her sin and putting her trust in Jesus for salvation. Praise God. You so patiently, maybe even for 15 years. So praise the Lord for newborn lives in the kingdom, uh, this uh, dear saint in Glasgow, Scotland, Jewish uh, of Hebrew origin. Next slide. So confidently, and the reason I say that too is because sometimes we never know what is going to be the fruit of what we say and, wh and who's going to take it on. Um, again, I need to watch the time, but just last week, we were, uh, I'll not go into details because I know this is, this is uh, being live streamed, but we were in, in a certain uh, holiday resort, let's say, in Mon Montana. And we went into a store um, that was selling T-shirts, only to discover that the guy in the store was Israeli. And in fact, I stayed outside for social distancing, and my wife and daughter were in the store, and they started the conversation, and they came out to me and said, oh, you need to come in, we need help. <laughs> And uh, I was thinking, what do you need? You're in a t-shirt store. What do you need help? Yeah. Oh, no, no. We, we, and then they explained. And so we, I, I went in and we ended up uh, having a, a long conversation. There were a lot of other people in the store as well. So we, we have no idea what, but we were sowing the seed. We were telling him about Isaiah 53 and about Jeremiah 31. Do you know there was a new covenant with the house of Israel? According to Jeremiah, your guy, a new covenant. Have you ever read Isaiah 53? No, I've never read Isaiah 53. 
Oh, you ought to read Isaiah 53. So we, we chatted on, and, and again, he, he agreed with us on some things, and then he disagreed, obviously, and intensely on other things. But uh, the next day, I went back, and I left him a book, a testimony uh, from a Jewish believer. In fact, it's on the, the table there. It's called Betrayed, and a uh, wonderful testimony of a Jewish businessman uh, who comes to faith in Jesus. So you, you sow. I don't know where that's going to go. Um, my wife and I were, or my wife and daughter were saying, well, did you leave him your car? Did you leave him? And I didn't. Maybe I should have. But I just sowed, the, I showed, sowed confidently. Now, why do I say that? Because here is Asaf from Amsterdam. He just discovered recently that one of his friends, one of his contacts, non-believing, but one he's been sowing, um, was moving to Berlin. And uh, Asaf said, oh, I, I, have a, I have a friend in Berlin. And the, the Jewish guy said, oh, that's interesting. And Asaf said, I'd really like you to, to meet up with my friend in Berlin. Another Hebrew Christian uh, in Berlin, Jewish believer. And uh, a week or so later, Asaf got a photo of uh, his contact in Amsterdam who had moved to Berlin, now with the new friend who will take the gospel further. So you sow confidently, and, I, and we've sown to um, Montana, to an Israeli in Montana, confident that the Lord will take what we sow and continue the process until the maybe 15 years, the time is right. Next slide. We sow diversely, we scatter the seed, don't we? And, I, and the reason I say that is because here are three Israelis. These are three of my friends in Israel. Uh, I love them all, but they're all very, very different. The big guy in the middle, he served time in an Israeli prison for heroin-related crimes. Um, the Lord gloriously saved him. He's now fearlessly evangelizing in the rehab center uh, where he lives, or close by to where he lives. And he is meeting the down and outs. He's meeting the folks that he knew uh, that, that shot up with him. And he is doing an amazing job. If I can maybe just say even in passing, if you want to read more of these stories, this is our regular magazine. Please take our magazine. There's several issues of the magazine on the table. And even sign up for it. Uh, you can get it just in PDF. We just shoot it, in it by way of email. Or if you like the physical copy, we're very happy to send the physical copy as well. But please write which one you want. Um, but to read the stories of our, of our dear friends and what they're doing. So there's the big guy in the middle, Igal. Aviel. Aviel is on the right. Aviel does a lot of different things, particularly with Holocaust survivors. And I'm going to show a slide maybe uh, later about that. Uh, and then on the left, I have David Zadok. And David Zadok um, is a preacher. He is pastor of Grace and Truth Reformed Baptist Congregation just outside Tel Aviv in Rishon, Lezion. And uh, he also heads up our translation work and publishing work in modern Hebrew. And so, and his newsletter is actually on the table as well. You can read uh, of his newsletter. He is publishing good books uh, in modern Hebrew. He's publishing Pilgrim's Progress. He's publishing uh, the Heidelberg Catechism. He's publishing uh, Matthew Henry's commentary or, or portions of it. Uh, they've just finished uh, doing something with MacArthur, publishing some of MacArthur's books uh, into modern Hebrew. First time ever that Matthew Henry has been in modern Hebrew. And, and David, my colleague there, has been at the forefront of that translation process. So, sowing diversely by, by translation, by, by feeding the pastors in Israel with uh, modern Hebrew good books, or by going to the streets, we sow the seed, we scatter the seed. Next slide. So, this is the, uh, the Holocaust survivors um, meeting that, that Aviel was speaking at. I remember very vividly Aviel um, speaking to a group of our CWI colleagues uh, in London a couple of years ago, and um, just very passionately saying about his Holocaust survivor ministry. He says, they're running out of time. They're running out of time. They're all in their 90s. They're running out of time 
They survived the fires. This is, this is Aviel's words. They survived the fires of the Holocaust. But there's another. And that's not being insensitive. That's being real. Do we believe in the reality of hell for Jewish people? There are some televangelists that don't. Well, they're the chosen people. They're all right. No, they're not. Otherwise, the apostle wouldn't go into every synagogue under heaven he could find to tell them about Jesus. They're running out of time. How dare any Christian televangelist say they don't need Jesus? They're running out of time. So please pray, please pray for Aviel as he ministers to many of the Holocaust survivors in Israel. Next slide. Sowing until harvest time. Again, I want to uh, read um, a little story from the latest newsletter of, again, my colleague Richard on the left. Um, Richard is in Leeds in England, and uh, one of his Jewish contacts, as you can see there, um, he's, and, and again, I'll just read, for 25 years, 25 years, Joel and I debated God's existence, the reliability of the Bible, and whether it foretold that Jesus was Israel's promised Messiah. He had read the New Testament many times, wonderful, and memorized many verses, but still he would not and could not take that final step of faith. Joel was the most prolific reader I've ever known and a profound philosophical thinker. Each week that we met, he would take out his notebook to ask me whatever question he had been researching that he had thought I'd be unable to answer. <laughs> After 10 years, when he ran out of questions, we then went through his notebook again. And I'll, I'll not read all of the story, but simply to say that at the COVID lockdown, um, well, again, you, you can know the end of the story. Joel was in hospital with the COVID infection. I stayed in touch with the hospital to check on his progress, but wasn't able to speak directly to him. But after much effort, I was able to get through to the hospital when Joel was awake. The nurse passed Joel the phone, and I was able to talk with him despite his critical condition. I took the opportunity to pray with Joel and asking if he wanted to know the love, peace, and strength of Jesus in his heart. As we were praying together, in the midst of his labored and crackling breathing, he said yes. And afterwards, the nurse who was with him told me that Joel had been nodding all the way through the prayer. This is the real world that we live in, the real kingdom world. And for Joel, it's harvest time. Next slide. Again, I do want you to think of the field as we bring it here. So we've got Israel. We... We are a worldwide missionary organization. We are in Israel, we are in Australia, we are in Hong Kong, we are in Amsterdam, in, in Paris, um, we are in Hungary, we are in the UK, we are in parts of England and Scotland. London actually has uh, 200,000 Jewish people, the UK has 300,000 Jewish people. But as I said, South Florida has 660,000 Jewish people. The second largest Jewish community in the world is here. 42% of the world's Israel lives in America. 42%. This is Christian witness to Israel in America. Next slide. When we think of that, though, uh, and again, just with the backdrop of that verse, the enemy came and sowed weeds, we have some challenges. And, and that's why I said the, the mission as it began in 1842 began out of a biblical burden. It, became, it began out of that theology of the 1600s. Uh, and I could, uh, again, take you back, and so I'll, I'll wave another... Um, leaflet at you, another booklet, and that is a brackle. And I was delighted that your pastor knew who a brackle was, because not many pastors do. A brackle was one of the leading Dutch theologians in, in what is kind of called the Second Reformation, or the Second Wave of the Reformation. And a brackle in the 1600s has a heart for the redemption, for the salvation 
of the Jewish people. And uh, so that's on the table as well. This ministry began in the first century. It got lost, as the gospel indeed got lost in the Roman Catholic era. The mission to the Jews got lost because the Roman church was the replacement church. We don't need Israel. But when the Reformation happened, the Reformers started afresh to study the Scriptures, and in fact, they studied the Hebrew Scriptures. They moved away from the Latin to start to study the Hebrew. Well, to study the Hebrew, they had to get the rabbis to help them. And so they started the interaction again with the Jewish people, and they came to realize that, hey, we've been missing this mission, particularly Romans 9, 10, and 11. If you haven't read that recently, there's your homework. Read Romans 9, 10, and 11 to gain a heart for Jewish mission. And so the Reformation was seeing a return to Jewish mission being on the agenda. However, in the past hundred or so years, it's got off the agenda because of a skewed vision. The missional challenges, I, I, I placed three, I could place 33 up there, but let, let's think about philo-Semitism. We should abhor any anti-Semitism. We should love Israel. That's what philo means. We should love Israel. In fact, Romans um, 11.28 says that though they are enemies on account of the gospel, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. So it is right for the Christian church to love Israel. Philo-Semitism, in a sense, is right. But when philo-Semitism says, we so we love Israel, we love Israel, we so love Israel, but we won't tell them about Jesus. That's when actually philo-Semitism is anti-Semitic. If you love someone, you'll tell them about the one who brings eternal life. If you don't tell them, then you don't love them. And so we face a challenge here in the United States. There is a huge love for Israel, but we leave them alone. I remember having an interaction with a rabbi in Israel through a live stream. And uh, I, I, I raised uh, the issue with him of how the Israeli church, I didn't even say that word, but how the Jewish believers, Jewish people in the Old Testament, and I didn't use that word either, in Psalm 67, in the Tanakh, their Bible, our Bible, the Jewish believers in the God of Israel were praying for the Gentiles. 3,000 years ago, did you know that? Well, there's another one for your homework. Read Psalm 67. 3,000 years ago, they were praying that the nations of the world would know the God of Israel and His salvation, which actually the word salvation in Hebrew has at its root Yeshua in it, Jesus. Wow. In Psalm 67... In, in a real sense, they were praying that the Gentiles would know the God of Israel and His Jesus. And I challenged this rabbi, and he simply said, well, no, you know, we want all the Christians to love Israel. We want you to stand with Israel. We want you to come and visit Israel, but leave us alone. And I simply challenged him and said, you didn't leave us alone. <laughs> Your ancestors didn't leave us. Thank God they didn't leave us alone. They told us. And we're here today because Jewish disciples of a Jewish Messiah, the book is Jewish, the man is Jewish, the message is Jewish, the mission is Jewish, because they took it to us. Now it's time for us to take it to them. But philo-Semitism is a great problem. Mission field ignorance is also a problem, and this is why I, I, I want to stress, and if you don't remember anything, remember that Israel is here. There is a great ignorance of what the mission field is. What is Christian witness to Israel? It is Christian witness 
to the people, Israel. And then there is all manner of eschatological confusion. And I don't want to, to, to tell you the, uh, the timeline. I'll leave that to your pastor to do. <laughs> it's not my job. But whatever the eschatology, and I preach in a wide variety of churches. I'm denominationally PCA, but I preach right across the board with a wide variety of eschatologies. But if your eschatology means you won't tell Jewish people about Jesus, I have a problem with you. And in fact, the Apostle Paul has a problem with you. So in the midst of all the eschatological confusion, we need to be clear. Jewish people need to hear about Jesus. Next slide. So again, I want to bring us to some aspects of what the mission field is for us. Uh, this was me in uh, Delray Beach, Florida. That's, as I said, the second largest Jewish community in the U.S. And this is me speaking with a 95-year-old atheist Jewish man. In fact, he's the father of our missionary in Pittsburgh. Mitch's father does not believe in Jesus. And uh, we had some good interaction. He still does not believe in Jesus. Please pray for a 95-year-old atheist in Delray Beach, Florida, and many, many, many more that are there. And they are running out of time as well. This is the mission field, Delray Beach. Next slide. And again, this is us in, in Squirrel Hill. Um, in fact, we started to get this really out of the Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary, which is situated about two miles from uh, Squirrel Hill. And once a year, for over the past four or five years, once a year, I have been giving lectures in the uh, Reform RPTS, Reformed Presbyterian Seminary, um, in Pittsburgh. I've been giving lectures on Jewish mission, and indeed, uh, I think one of the first years I was there uh, was this Jewish guy from Brooklyn who was a believer in Jesus, and uh, several years later, he became our missionary. So that was where the initial contact came from. In fact, those of you who are of a certain age may be interested to know that Mitch has been a believer for about 40 years or over 40 years. Um, and indeed, he was uh, one of those Jesus freaks back in those heady days of California and the Jesus movement in California. And uh, indeed, on one occasion, he was giving a Bible study in a church in Southern California. And uh, who should be sitting in the congregation but Bob Dylan? So I don't know how many missionaries can say, well, I led Bob Dylan in a Bible study, but uh, Mitch at least can say that. So you can pray for Mitch. Uh, on the streets of Pittsburgh, and his colleagues, uh, because we get some volunteers from, from local churches and fellowships, and we also get some volunteers from the seminary, and it's good training for them as well. So, pray for the witness on the streets of Pittsburgh. Next slide. Kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in the measures of flour till, of flour till it was all leavened. And what I want to really bring, and I'm not preaching on these verses, as you can see, uh, but what I really want to bring from that is that in, in so many different ways, we are seeking to bring the burden of the Scriptures and then filter it through into Jewish America. I go to so, so many churches all across the country, and what I would love to see happen is that each individual church just has a prayerful burden for the Jewish people. If they are in a Jewish area, what are you doing intentionally to reach your Jewish neighbors? If you're not in a Jewish area, what are you doing intentionally to pray for those that are? This is a mission field that we should be engaged in. It is, and as I've often said, it is payback time. If they prayed for us, we should be praying for them now. And so in the reality of Jewish America, let us be intentional, church, either in your local witness or your prayerful witness. 
there are three things that I put there, and actually these three things are on this little card as well. I have a number of uh, cards, support cards, information cards, booklets. Just look at it all and please take. And if you're not comfortable with taking because my hands have fingered, and that makes sense as well. If you're not comfortable, we can leave stuff there for a week. You can get it next week and uh, perhaps... I don't know the science. I'm not a scientist. But if that, if that makes you more comfortable, if that means that the dreaded disease uh, is not in that contact, then that's, uh, that's fair as well. So we're happy to leave some literature uh, as well as uh, you, if you're happy and comfortable to take. But I have these three missional realities on this card. And I really think we need to um, both rejoice and uh, be responsible because of these three missionary realities. The Jewish people are here because God has ordered it so. If I had another hour, I could take you through the history of how the Jewish people came to America, but it began with 23 Jewish souls in the 1600s who arrived in New Amsterdam Harbor because they were kicked out of every other country in Europe, and finally they got kicked out of Brazil, which was run by Portugal at the time, um, by Catholic Portugal, and the 23 souls arrived in a boat in New Amsterdam Harbor. Ten years later, New Amsterdam became New York, and the 23 became 2 million. This is Jewish America. And then the other reality is that we have a pro-Israel church. I'm, I'm thrilled in some ways that we have a pro-Israel church. There are many churches that are anti-Semitic. There are many churches that are anti-Israel. There are many that want to, the BDS, the boycott, sanction, and divest to be part of their creed. That is biblically wrong. We should love Israel, according to Romans eleven twenty eight. 28. So I'm delighted we have a pro-Israel church. My problem is the confusion in that pro-Israel church. And so part of my ministry is to clarify that confusion or to work our way through so that we can instruct in real biblical understanding of the ancient people and our responsibility to bring the gospel to them. So I'm delighted we have a pro-Israel church. Don't get me wrong. And then the other thing that I want to say about the, the reality that we face here is that we have a very proactive church. I was talking with your pastor just before the service um, about some of the, um, I suppose, some of the problems that maybe that might, might bring. Um, and please excuse me, the Brit, who is not an American, but please excuse me in self-criticism then. But the American mindset is very much, we can get it done. That's good. It's very proactive. It's pioneer. The danger comes when you transfer that into the kingdom. And you think, Lord, you're dragging your feet a little here. Second coming. You know, we can help. We can make it happen. We'll, we'll find the red heifer, we'll get all the Jews back to the land, we'll build the temple, we'll start the sacrifices, and we'll get everything in place, and then you can come. It's as if we know how to work the hand of God. There is a proactive mindset that is wonderful. There is a proactive mindset that is dangerous. But within the proactive mindset that is wonderful, here's one thing that I have never seen in any country on the planet, and I've traveled quite widely. The generosity of the American church, as I perceive it, is second to none. And I don't say that in any backslapping way. I say that as a reality. The generosity of the American church is second to none. You have resources. Okay. Let's think this through. If God has so ordained that the Jewish people, He's not done with them. If they need Jesus, if they have been brought to our shores by a divine providence, in fact, that ship was pirated along the way, but uh, the Dutch said, let my people go, 
and the, the boat continued to sail. If by divine providence, which I've often called the pirates of providence, but if by divine providence those 23 Jewish souls and now 2 million and now 6 million right across the U.S., if by divine providence they are here, if by divine calling the Gentile church, largely Gentile church, has a responsibility to bring it back to them, and if we are a pro-Israel church, and if we are a proactive church, and if we are a resourceful and very generous church, then what if? What if? Again, I was sharing prior to the service that I read an article that $230 million a year goes to Israel-based ministries. Most are non-evangelistic. And I unashamedly said, I want more of that pie. And I want more of it to go to our ministry and other sister ministries. And, and we have sister relations. We're part of the Lausanne Consultation on Jewish Evangelism, which is kind of a broader um, grouping which includes Jews for Jesus and Chosen People Ministries and Life and Messiah Ministries and a ton of others. And we have very good relations with them all. Our uh, theology may be a little different and our strategy may be a little different, but at least all of them in the Lausanne grouping, and the LCJE as we call it, uh, is evangelistic. And so you want to give to any of those others, that's fine. I, I want the $230 million to go to evangelism. Not to silly nonsense. So we are a generous church, but let's make sure the generosity is directed aright. Next slide. Oh, I just noticed, uh, don't bother going back to the last slide, but I just noticed one little uh, note that I put at the bottom, and it was in really small print. I need to uh, get my slides uh, a bit better for the next time. But never before, and again, this is part of the providence, never before... In redemptive history, in gospel history, in what we might call New Testament history, never before has six million Jews been living side by side with, I don't know the numbers in the U.S., 30 million evangelicals, 20 million, 60 million, I, I don't know. But never before in all of church history have there been six million Jewish people living side by side with 30 million gospel-believing people? That's a providence. And to whom much has been given, much will be required. So this is Jewish and evangelical America. About a year ago, um, I was staying with a dear brother in Kentucky, Bob Smith, who is known to you. And Bob showed me uh, the picture that he had taken uh, from Yellowstone. And it was on uh, his wall. And he just simply asked me, what do you think of when you see that? And, uh, you know, different people have thought different things. I immediately thought of Romans 11. The grafting in again and the, the, the rebirth of the Jewish believing church. Do you know in 1948, in the land of Israel, there were 12 Jewish believers in 1948? Almost like the original 12 all over again, but there were 12. In 1968, the 12 became 50. In 1998, the 50 became 5,000. Today, they reckon on 30,000 Jewish believers, Jewish, Jesus Jews, like Paul, like Matayahu, like Yaakov, like Luke, who was probably Jewish. I want to see that again. It's happening in the land of Israel. It's happening in Jewish America. It's a little harder to define the numbers, but they reckon on at least 100,000 Jewish believers in the U.S., some Jewish believers simply fully assimilate into local churches, and therefore it's hard perhaps to, to identify numbers. But from the ashes, even from the ashes of the Holocaust, have arisen a church in Israel, Jewish, Israeli church. There are about 120 little fellowships in the land of Israel. 
Most of them are not reformed, but even as I talk to my brother, uh, my, my, my colleague David Zadok, more and more and more are becoming reformed in their theology, and that is thrilling as well. Now, let's see this happen in, in Jewish America as well. Next slide. Again, we can probably fl quickly flip through, but what we desire is your partnership and your participation. If you are in a Jewish area, let's see what you're doing, and let's see how we can help. And if you're not, then pray for us, and even the resources. This is resourceful America. Next slide. Some of you will get this, some of you won't. My, my own family will get this, and most of you probably won't. But there was a TV series back in the UK called Dad's Army. And it was kind of a fun comedy series, and they were all old folks, and, but it was the home guard. And it was set kind of in the, it was in the time of the war, and uh, while well, all the young and fit guys were all away to war, but at home there was the home guard. And uh, the reality was that in the time of war, there were 1.5 million local volunteers in, uh, in the UK, the Home Guard. Why did I raise that? Well, what I want to do is I want you to be the Home Guard. I want the church to be raised as the Home Guard. There will be frontline missionaries. We'll have our frontline missionaries. We'll have our frontline soldiers. But we want you also to be praying and even ready to speak to a t-shirt seller in Montana or Colorado. I want to raise that awareness among you, and I want to develop the resources. And again, having, you know, being the preacher and the teacher of CWI North America in that sense, Mitch is the super one-on-one -on -one, uh, Brooklyn Jewish believer um, and in, in some ways, our, our ministry complements each other. My work is largely among the churches, but I want to develop the home guard and develop the resources and develop an understanding among you guys for prayer and even for, for intentionality in witness. So one more. Currently, uh, COVID lockdown has meant that I've been at my desk for about four months. And during that time, I've done a number of different things. One of the things that I'm really involved in drawing together, and it's not there yet, but is a course called the AC course, or, yeah, we need some AC at the moment, but uh, the AC course, the Awakening the Conscience course, in which by Scripture, by church history, and by present reality, I want to bring to the church's attention uh, an awareness and an awakening to awaken the conscience of the Christian church. So watch this space on that front and uh, keep in touch with me if you're interested. I'm thinking of it in kind of like a correspondence course whereby you ask for it. I send you one week of a study. I send you the next week of a study. I send you the next week. Just again to use the resources that we have or the information we have or the lectures even that I've given uh, to instruct and help the Christian church to awaken the conscience. Um, and then also, as I've said, the little support card. One thing I don't think is up on the screen, but is a little bookmark. Please don't leave this morning without taking a bookmark. If you, uh, I've got thousands of these. <laughs> and uh, please put it in your Bible. And so when you're doing your morning reading, just simply pray. Romans 10.1, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel so that they may be saved. On the back of the little... Uh, um, bookmark is, is a little Bible study as well, if you want to, to follow through some of the verses that are there. But uh, just please pray for us. So take the bookmark to remind you to pray for us. Okay, next slide. Kingdom of heaven compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. So we sow the seed, we scatter it diversely, patiently, confidently. And ultimately, again, this is a verse that really strikes me that I think the Christian church needs to recognize, and if we tie it in with what I was saying to the rabbi in Psalm 67, you prayed for us, we're going we're to be seeking you. In fact, one of the things that uh, I said at that church at that time, and uh, I didn't actually say to the rabbi, but you know, after the event, you wish you'd said something. Well, uh, what I really wished I'd said to the rabbi, wa rabbi was to put on my Liam Neeson accent and said, I will find you. And I will tell you about Jesus. <laughs> we need to be intentional in finding 
and telling. Because Romans 11.31 says this, and, and let's get this verse. That by the mercy shown to you, Gentiles, that they also may receive mercy. Again, I'm not going to preach on it, but look that verse up. Check it out. And realize that as Paul is particularly talking to the Romans and speaking of the, the climax of, of, of the gospel age, and it is in, in an inclusion of the Jewish people, and it's by the mercy that has been poured out on the Gentiles that they ultimately will be brought back in again. By the mercy shown to you, they also may receive mercy. Goodness, my time is done, but I think this may be the last slide. Yeah, how shall they hear? How shall they hear? Sometimes we hear that verse preached at missionary send-offs. How are the folks in Africa going to hear? How are the folks in South America going to hear? How are the folks in Eastern Europe going to hear unless someone preaches to them? That's true. But let's remember where that verse is. That verse is Romans 10. Bang smack in the middle of Romans 9, 10, and 11. And Romans 9, 10, and 11, in case you hadn't noticed, is all about Jewish mission. So when he says, how shall they hear? It doesn't not mean Africa, etc. But it certainly does mean, how shall they, the Jewish people, hear? Except someone preaches to them. We need your partnership, and we'd love to see you enable us and help us in reaching. Yeah, it's an unreached people group. Did you believe that? Could you believe that? The Jewish people are deemed, because only one and a half percent of Jewish people are believers in Jesus, one and a half percent. If you're under two percent, you're in the, 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 what's called the unreached people group. How in the world did church let this happen? That they who brought us the greatest message on earth should become an unreached people group. May it not be so. We have almost run out of time, I'm sorry, but I want to have opportunity for some Q&A. Um, if we've got five minutes, maybe we could do that. Uh, if there are any, if you want, are you going to keep running the live stream on that, or you, you want to turn it off at that point? That means I can talk more freely.